Welcome to the Gresham Health Podcast. This episode is going to be on a series with strength coach Tyler Yasuda. And we're going to focus on injuries, especially Tyler's recent injury. And just for you, the listeners, focus on how to go through an injury, the rehab process, and the mindset related to it, among other guests that we will have on as well. So Tyler, I've had you on a few times. We've done a few episodes, so no need to go into your background, but you've got a pretty serious injury and you're in the process of recovering. So, you know, tell us what happened and what were you doing that, you know, caused your injury? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say thanks for having me on again. Um surprised every time you decide that you want to do that again. <laughs> but uh, the, the recent injury was uh, it's a pec major rupture. So your, your pec major attaches uh, to your humerus, kind of like if you imagine, <clears throat> or if people, I don't know if this is going to be in a video format too, but if you imagine like where your front delt and your kind of like top of your bicep meet, underneath all that is an attachment where uh, on your bone there, your pec attaches to your humerus, your upper arm bone. So basically that just ripped off the bone. Um, I had been uh, bench pressing. Uh, as a pause bench single and just one of those things where like immediately as it happened, I, I knew what happened. Uh, could, uh, I could, I could feel my, my pet kind of shoot across my chest. Uh, even like in that moment, like laying there on the bench, kind of just in pain, I could also see my pet kind of like retracted partway across my chest. Um, and honestly, like the, the pain of the experience probably, like the physical pain wasn't that bad. I don't remember it being that bad in that moment. It was more so the thought of like, oh shit, I know what this is. I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what this is. And I, I'm pretty sure I know what it means for, uh, you know, training or lack thereof in the uh, near and distant future, honestly. Um, yeah, it's tough. Very tough. Yeah. And you're probably in shock as well at the time. And like, you still have to, like, how did you get the bench? How did you get the bar off your chest? Did you have a spotter? Yeah, I did. And there's a video of this. Uh, I don't know if it'll go up online at any point. It's, it's like hard for me to watch still. Uh, I've watched it maybe twice. And uh, so I had a, two two of my like friends were with me at the time. The one who's spotting me, they were really just there to lift me off. And then I had safeties and everything. So I wasn't going to die. Actually, hold but, on. How much were you benching? Uh, like 110 pounds. <laughs> uh, it was With the 358. Pods as well. 358 yeah 358 okay so it's like 140 um, kilos somewhere around like 140 150 or something something like that yeah yeah three plates um a little more than that but yeah doesn't doesn't really matter because it, it could have happened I'll circle back but it could have happened with any amount of weight it, it's much more common that it happens with like moderate loads than it does with like you know near 100% loads well, well for me this confirms my bias that you know I should stay weak because if I lift heavy, I'm going to rupture my my stuff and it's going to or, be... Or, or you could argue that if you stay weak, your 100% is just a really low number that you're more likely to approach more often. So think about that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, the person who was there like with the bar, they wouldn't have been strong enough anyway that if they had seen this happen, they could have caught it and lifted it off. But it honestly, it wouldn't have mattered if it was... Russell or like the strongest person in the world could have helped me because when, when it went, like the bar just fell, like there was nothing. It's like somebody shut the lights off on, on that one side, the bar just fell. Uh, and I got my, you'd never be able to 
pal now, but I got, it fell on top of me. I bounced off my chest a couple of times and it actually got between, or my pinky got between the bar and the safety. So I, I lost a little bit of my pinky. It grew back or filled itself in, whatever. But um, yeah, what ended up happening, I don't even remember this, but whatever what ended up happening is my other friend had to come running over and kind of like deadlift the bar off of me so I could, you know, slither my way out from underneath it. Uh, but it was, yeah. <laughs> It was a, a freak accident kind of thing is what it felt like. Wild. Yeah. Like just the fact that it separated from the bone, you did the full job on yourself like that is that's rough. So what I'm thinking then is like, you know, in the lead up in the weeks leading up to it in the session, was there anything mm-hmm. at all that was like something's off or something isn't a hundred percent or were you feeling as good as normal? And it was just like a freak occurrence. Yeah. So I, I thought a lot about that. That's a great question. I thought a lot about that. Um, both like immediately after and then you know in the months after this happened kind of kind of further removed where I could be maybe more objective and to be honest like I, I could sit here and say that I don't manage my recovery that well and I don't mean that in a physical sense like, I, I just I work a lot um, more than most people probably more than two normal people do a lot of times and it's a, it's a choice that I make I really like the work that I do and I'm passionate and it's hard for me to say no but that's the one thing I think that I probably need to do better at is balancing that with like, if I'm, I need to acknowledge that the training I'm doing, it is very difficult. If I intend to train that way and train at a high level sustainably, I can't just drive myself into the ground elsewhere in my life. So that's maybe one thing, but that's also technically that's not a variable that that's been constant for the past, I don't know, say five to 10 years, more or less. The, the, as far as like physical, you know, metrics through this training cycle, I felt phenomenal. Um, I was doing really good. I was uh, taking it a little bit easy on my squat because I had some big deadlift numbers I wanted to touch. Uh, so like for me, I, I tend not to let myself, um, like as a measure of caution, I tend not to let myself push extremely hard on both lower body lifts at the same time, at least not in the same phase of the training cycle. So I was kind of b- backing off my squat a bit, still hitting decent numbers there. My bench had been feeling really good. Um, my deadlift had been feeling phenomenal as well. The one maybe small thing, and this is perhaps reaching, but probably a consideration is the day of that session, like hours before, I had gotten an emergency call from my other job. I, as a quick aside, I, I run another company that makes, they make a bunch of stuff, but this division provides ballistic protection to like police agencies, military, and so on. And we got a, a, an emergency call from one of our agencies say that they're going out to a call at the Capitol, uh, kind of like a, I think it was a bomb threat. And they didn't have the kind of protection they thought they needed because they had never ordered it. And they were just asking us, you know, if there's any chance you can get us something for this call, like right now, uh, it'd be real helpful. So me and my team were scrambling in the hours before that training session to try to take care of that agency. And we did, but that was, a, I would say, an unusually stressful uh, occurrence and I, I have to guess that that kind of like mental stress or uh, just the the chaos of that day leading up may have had some effect on conditions leading in but again I, I think that's reaching um, I think even like that stress being there like I've, I've done more with less I would say you know there's been days where I felt much worse or like was by all accounts in much worse condition and not ripped my peck off my humerus <laughs> so I think it's just a combination of maybe conditions, but also there's a certain level of risk we accept 
you know, if you're going to perform at an extremely high level of anything, uh, you accept some risk and it's kind of always going to be there. You do what you can to mitigate that risk, of course, but it exists and we kind of have to be okay with things going how they might. So maybe I'm the, uh, just, I was gonna say just lucky enough. Maybe I'm just unlucky enough that it ended up being a perfect combination that day. Right. The, the perfect storm. Yeah. So, you know, you coach a lot of clients and, you know, I'm sure they've had their fair share of injuries. You know, I had my injury as well. So is there anything that like moving forward, you would do differently with clients or with your own training, given this experience? So like, is there anything you would look out for? Or would you add in an extra kind of like range of approach to training? You know, it's like, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna hit 100% today. But if life stress is high, we're gonna make it 95 or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, one recommendation is to uh, keep an eye out for moving vehicles when you're on your bike. <laughs> that's how that's Rush. how I dislocated my shoulder. I got hit by a car, so what you can't. That's <laughs> that that one you might not be able to actually. Like, you can't really do much about that. If a car is coming for you, it's coming for you. You can get a coach and get you know a solid rehab process after the fact, and then yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I think by and large, the way that I'd handle most of my client training, it, it hasn't changed. I, I've always been kind of of the frame of mind that like if somebody, we can plan for everything, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that things will go that way. So kind of implicitly, when we have conversations amongst our team, it, it's really just, you know, here's our plan. If things change on the day of, then they change. Okay. The problem with that, though, is sometimes, like especially like more novice um, athletes, they will take that to mean, okay, I might max out when I'm not supposed to. Um, but more experienced lifters take that as, okay, if there's a day where I'm supposed to hit, you know, this range, and it's just not there uh, because, you know, whatever their their kid is sick or uh, tough day at work, uh, got an argument with the wife, whatever it is, right? Then yeah, you maybe you auto regulate down you save it for another day, like live to lift another day uh, rather than just trying to power through. But that's so hard. Like I admit that that is very hard to make the determination because there are plenty of days, you and I both know this, plenty of days where you go into the gym, not feeling ideal, crush it anyway, right? And those are like fond memories where you can- Or even have a, a better session. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then like you hold on to that because it, if anything, it's like evidence to you that, you know, in whatever context, whether training or elsewhere in your life, that you can do quite a bit, regardless of feeling subpar, right? So it, it's hard to find that balance. And I think the toughest thing here is you can't actually know, like, I'd like to be able to say, oh, if I did these three things differently, I wouldn't have had this injury. But who's to say that it wouldn't have been the next week or, or you know, the week prior or a year later? Um, we just, we, we can't know. And, uh, I think the best you can do really is, you know, you plan reasonably and then you adjust as unemotionally as you can. So in those moments when you're trying to adapt based on conditions, you do so. Um, I, I like to tell people like, you know, uh, if you can't get a hold of me, for example, you, you think to yourself, not like, what do I want to do now? But like, what would my coach have me do? Or like, what would I tell a friend to do if they were asking the same question about their training? Like remove yourself from that as much as you can to try to make a better an objectively better choice. Yeah. An unemotional choice. So 
Uh, two things that I want to go over. One, so, you know, what are your kind of biggest takeaways or reflections from the injury? But something more recent that I heard from a chiropractor is that just for someone like me, who's got longer arms, and maybe this will apply to you or people listening, that to protect their shoulder joint, you don't want to bench all the way down to your chest because it's putting mm. a lot of pressure on your shoulder. And I was like, in a meet, you got to touch your chest. You want to get full range of motion, full stretch, full contraction. That's, you know, this is coming from someone who like, you know, doesn't know, doesn't understand. But then I was kind of like, okay, well, actually, I don't need to stress my shoulder or my chest all the time. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing this for longevity purposes. So it was kind of like an interesting point. I kind of don't know what to to make of it. And I was kind of thinking, you know, like, sure, it's great to be as strong as you possibly can, like 100%, like your reach of potential. But also there's something else to be said for like, what about like 80 or 90% of it, uh, of your full potential while being healthier for longer? So do you have any thoughts on kind of doing maybe a, a shorter range of motion bench and then yeah. strategically going all the way to the chest, you know, maybe in the lead up to a meet? So, I mean... I would like to break that into like two separate questions. One being uh, general population, right? If, if you said your goal was to be strong and to be healthy and to be in shape, uh, I think there, there's a lot of range in which like, 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 let's say you said, and by the way, it wouldn't just be like longer limb lengths in the context of a bench press. It would be how long is your forearm in relation to like the rest of your arm, because that's essentially going to determine how, how much your, uh, your elbow has to pass your torso on the way to reaching your chest, right? So imagine having an extremely long forearm. You're going to have to reach your elbow all the way back there to get down. But I mean, there's so many factors. And like, if people are listening to this, you have to kind of use your imagination. Ross and I both are kind of built like spider monkeys. So for us to have like a wide grip bench press, that ends up being this thing where like, you know, we're fairly, uh, we're quite abducted at the shoulder. Like our elbow is real far away from our bodies with that wide grip. So what you have is not just that stretch of your elbow passing center line. Uh, it's also that abduction where, you know, again, if your pec attaches to your humerus, you know, at, you know, just below, let's say, uh, kind of the junction or, or where your front duct covers your bicep just in there, as you bring your arm out away from you, you're also lengthening your pec in that context, as well as passing your torso. So I think it's the combination then of abduction and that extension back behind you that would get you at like greater length, the greatest possible length in your pack. That said, it's not inherently dangerous. Um, I told you this earlier, but like I, I tried to learn everything I could uh, in the many, many weeks that I couldn't do anything physically. And it, it seems to be the case that like you actually produce force much quicker and possibly even more on the eccentric. So like as you descend in your bench press compared to as you change directions. And like what's really strange is for me, that rupture occurred probably a third of the way up. It wasn't, I would have thought like if you had made me guess before all this, I would have thought the place where you're at the most risk is that when you're at the greatest muscle length, right? So all the way down to the bottom of your bench press uh, under, you know, same amount of load. But uh, yeah, it just happened kind of midway up. So I, I think that for gen pop, you know, you can kind of do whatever to say, okay, like if you feel safer in the shorter range of motion, okay, fine. But the compromise there is, is we both know this, there's plenty of research to suggest that longer ranges of motion, so long as you can do so safely, tend to be more effective for building both strength and muscle. And then the, the separate question is like in the context of powerlifting as a sport, you will be required to reach your chest, right? That's just the rule set. 
I would actually say it's probably more dangerous for somebody to train in a limited range of motion and extend that range around the time of comp when you are at the highest intensities, right? So what you've done essentially, you've built strength everywhere else through this range, but you've not built strength at that more complete muscle length. So then kind of approaching that, that limit as you, let's say, taper for a meet, that doesn't seem wise to me. But also in the context of powerlifting and something that if I can, if I can return to the sport eventually, something I'll think about very seriously is are there ways for me to, to reduce the necessary range at my shoulder or, or for my pec um, within the rules of the sport? So like maybe I just get very flexible and I have like a gigantic arch. Um, maybe I take a slightly narrower grip so I don't have to have as much abduction, right? So that, that would be a longer range of motion for me, but maybe it's worth um, consolidating some of that effort to my, my front delts and triceps to save my chest from re-injury. But yeah, I mean, as far as the sport goes, you kind of don't have a choice. And I, I do think it'd be, it'd be short-sighted to train partial ranges of motion through part of your majority of your offseason, only then to return to full range for comp. Yeah, it sounds like you got to really think about how important it is to compete versus, you know, the trade-offs of maybe potential injury. So yeah. So speaking of competing and doing a powerlifting meet and just your reflections on the whole injury and like, I guess, how long ago it happened as well, actually, that'd be interesting to know and where you're at now. But um, yeah, like, you know, for your work with your clients and yourself, it's like, what are your kind of your takeaways from the injury? Because I think it's the first pretty serious injury you've had in uh, your, your kind of your lifting career. So I, I actually, that's not entirely true. I, I did have grade two uh, tears in my fastest lateralis, my TFL on my left leg. 2014 leading up to both uh, my show season for bodybuilding and then also my first season of powerlifting competition. Um, that one was pretty brutal. Uh, thankfully it didn't require surgery. That's, that's a big difference. Uh, so kind of lengthy rehab, but no surgery for that. This one happened. Um, I want to say it was April 4th. So I am, if I'm not mistaken, about 16 weeks, not quite 16 weeks uh, post-injury. And I, I got the surgery about two weeks after the injury. So I'm 14-ish weeks post-surgery. Uh, and, you know, the, I guess the, the, the zoomed out question, which is like the first question I asked the surgeon too, like prior to surgery, like, what does this look like for, like, you know, regardless, I understand if you get surgery, I understand the, the rehab is going to be a very, very long process. What does it look like for like, where is a ceiling, basically, after all this? And I, I think the most accurate answer is, like, we don't know. But uh, my surgeon told me, and this one, this is hard to hear at the time, even now to think about. It, he told me that uh, he does not think it would be smart for you to return to the kind of training I was doing before. He's like, you know, you might be able to do some push-ups, but bench pressing probably is not a good idea. Certainly not bench pressing at the kind of loads that you were approaching. Because, and not to get... Uh, lost in the details, but the nature of the repair was was less than ideal. Like when they went in there, they realized that, uh, that there are a bunch of different ways you can rupture your pec. So sometimes it's like your tendon rips completely off your bone. Sometimes it is that the tendon itself kind of just splits across. Sometimes it's that the tendon rips away from the muscle, right? Any of these, you know, could be fixed more or less in the same manner. What happened for mine is that uh, basically 
it wasn't the tendon ripping off the bone. It was the tendon separating from the muscle. But what was left of the tendon that was still attached to the bone was just obliterated. Like they couldn't use it. Um, so they ended up having to suture essentially the distal end of my pec, like the muscle tissue, with what tiny little bit of tendon there was left. They had ended up having to suture that to anchor it on my bone. So less than ideal repair. So basically what he's saying is you'll likely get to a point, like if you train how you might, you might get to a point where you can produce the same amount of force muscularly. But that's not the question. The question is, will the attachment hold that amount of force? Um, and it's one of those things that you just, you don't know until you find out and finding out means breaking it all over again. Right. So still, I, I guess the question or the answer to that question is that we don't know what that ceiling is. And uh, the recommendation from the surgeon is, you know, probably don't try to find out. Uh, separately, uh, my, my PT and care team, they feel a little differently. They're a little bit more aggressive in their approach. You know, they're determined, as determined as I am, to try to see. You know, we'll, we'll do everything as wisely as we can, but we do kind of want to see how close I can get. Or, or maybe, best case, I surpass where I was before. That would be great. But the fact is, we don't know. And we just, we won't for many, many more months. Wow. So initially I was like, well, you know, I did a similar thing to my shoulder with like a grade three dislocation. I came back, I did a powerlifting meet after as we had planned to do. So anything's possible. And then I'm kind of like, what if you were to re-injure yourself again? Would, would it be worth trying? You know, like if you, if you thought that, that could happen if that's a real possibility would it be worth going through it again just to figure out you know yeah and that's a it's a heavy question because uh like as much as i like i've enjoyed competing and i've enjoyed you know uh, touching some really heavy weights i think the value of that pales in comparison to the value of like just intense training in general for me you and I have had this conversation a couple of times, like, you know, what if I told you, you could never get stronger. You can never build more muscle. It just became physically impossible. Like, would you still train? And in these conversations, like my, my answer to that question has always been, yes, I would. Um, if nothing else, just for the benefit that it gives me uh, mentally, emotionally. Um, and to have that taken away because you so desperately wanted to pursue that top end strength or, that record uh, or first place at a local meet, whatever it was, seems a bit silly to me, you know? But I, I understand that not everybody feels that way. Like to some people, some people that I coach even, it really is like they do this because they want to win. And that's like the main motivation. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, some people are more motivated by the top end achievement. So, you know, that's where the individual variance comes in. So just in terms of having a surgeon, having a physical therapist, you know, maybe some people might've had surgery on something and didn't do the physical therapy. What is the difference between the advice you got from the physical therapist in, in more detail and the surgeon? And, you know, you know, what are the kind of the benefits of both of those? Do you think, do you think they're both essential for a very serious injury like yours? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think the, the surgeon, and he acknowledges this pretty openly, like, his expertise is like, let me fix this thing. His lane is not, let me show you how you're going to get back to like uh, living normally afterward. Uh, he he gave, gave me a, 
kind of a uh, a really rough outline of what to expect poster just was ranges of motion and where I should be at checkpoints and stuff, but it was based on a rotator cuff repair. So it's not like he'd never done a, a pec repair before, but there's just, it's a very uncommon injury. So his recommendations were loosely adapted from a more common injury, but he admits, you know, that's not specific. And I'm going to refer you to PT anyway, because that's their job. Right. And then even within PT, um, I hate to say this, but like the, the first PT I went to, they just, they were very nice. They're passionate about their job. They didn't know enough that they would have been helpful. Um, and it was a bit disconcerting, uh, but thankfully, you know, being in this world that we are, uh, I think you and I are both fairly well connected. I, I reached out to one of the first calls I made actually, it's our, our old friend Cherie. Uh, I called her, I told her, Hey, I think I'm pretty sure I ruptured my pec. What should I be doing? Like I, I'm talking like minutes after I rushed my pec, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, she gave me some like, you know, recommendations for like, here's what you do or don't do right now. But then also like, let me help you find a care team, which I, I, man, so grateful that we have people like her around because she didn't have to do that. Like I know her time is valuable and she went as far as not just like making calls, but like reaching out to people online because where, where I'm at, like I live in Northern California, not in the Bay area, but there's a ton of good PTs in the Bay area, but that's a full like two and a half hour drive for me. There's about two good PTs in my like immediate vicinity and she found both. Uh, so, you know, thankfully I was able to find a care team who, I mean, while very expensive because it's not covered by my insurance, it's uh, their expertise has been in like barbell athletes and return to sport. And uh, they have quite a bit more relevant knowledge, but I, even if I spent all of my free time trying to learn this, I don't think I could even approach the level of confidence with, you know, figuring out how do I make these steps toward full range of motion, let alone, um, you know, active range of motion at some point and eventually, hopefully, you know, directly loading again. But I, I would definitely say somebody going through a serious injury, provided that you can afford to do so. I know that's kind of a tough thing, but definitely want to surround yourself with a good care team. And I, affordability is it's a different conversation entirely. I know that, but I had to think about that long and hard because it was, it's really expensive, but also like, what is like, what do you work for? If not, like if you have somebody set aside, what do you work for? If not to like, take care of yourself when you need something like that. Right. So I, I do think, yeah. And like, I, I think the, the thing with PT, like, yes, you need one very likely, but like finding a good one is probably just as hard as like finding a good therapist, right? If like you need to, or like a good psych or whatever, like that's not an easy thing to do. You might have to go through like three or four or five before you settle on one that's a good fit for you. Yeah. Who has like the relevant experience that, that is specific to your, your case. Yeah. So where are you not at now with your training? I think you said you're like 12 weeks removed. So like, what is the current situation? And also actually, kind of separately what's like your mindset around the whole thing like how are you sort of you said you said you would keep training even if you can't make progress so you're actually mm -hmm. in the situation now you can't progress your top end numbers so the whole mindset side psychology you know how are you managing like your mental health mm -hmm. through the whole thing because i know for my injury you know the minute i was injured it was like pretty depressing you know it's almost like exercise is a medication and i take it as such it's like a non-negotiable and um you know, I do it sort of obviously to feel physically stronger and to be physically fit, but also 
to mentally be strong, you know, because I do difficult things in my workouts. And then that tells me, oh, I am actually, you know, more resilient or capable than I sometimes fool myself into believing. So yeah, just the mindset, mental health side of it as well. What's going on there? Um, I, I've lost all my marbles, you know, I've fully just gone crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You've become a, a cat uh, person. <laughs> just... <laughs> I mean, that happened before, so. <laughs> oh, <laughs> too late for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, man, I. Fully honestly, like. Uh, the the weeks immediately following the injury and, and around the surgery were really hard um, because I, I couldn't train at all for like at all, like, no, no activity whatsoever. That, that's the most time I've taken off of training away from exercise since I've, I, I want to say as far, far back as like being a teenager, um, there's never been a time that I've been that inactive. So it was really hard for that reason. Uh, there was, post-surgery especially like that surgery was real painful like they warned me and i was like ah, it'll probably be fine but like it's no joke man um i was on like the maximum dose maximum frequency of pain meds for like two days and it felt like i was doing nothing for the pain <laughs> and uh just even getting back into the gym so like the, I, I was able to kind of get back into the gym maybe a few weeks post-surgery but like what i could do was so limited like i had to have people like literally like hold my body or my arm in place for me to move uh just like my form to be able to do like a you know a very light like tempo bicep curl kind of thing and uh i i had to see one of my clients asked me about you know measurements like how much have you lost and i, I didn't want to check uh and it took me like maybe another week and a half after the conversation to like build up the uh i don't know the, the gumption, the bravery, if you will, to to check. And my God, man, like my left arm, the craziest thing is you have to keep in mind, my left arm was super swollen, but even super swollen, it has shrunk by an inch and three quarters, um, which is like half the circumference of my arm. So that was pretty uh, tough. Even my right arm had shrunk by like an inch and a half from like doing nothing. Um, just... I lost a good bit of weight, like despite eating, I didn't realize this immediately, but I guess the uh, energy demands of, you know, recovering essentially from the sort of trauma you deal with, mostly from the surgery, honestly, my energy intake had to be increased by about a third for me to just maintain weight, which is wild because like, you know me, like I, I already eat kind of a lot. Increasing by a third at that point meant I was in like the mid 4000s for a little while. Mid four thousands, mind you, doing like almost no, no training. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean the training stuff that was tough for a long time. Very gradually, I eased back into like as recovery allowed, more, not even normal training, but just like more intense training. So like nowadays, now what, fourteen weeks post surgery, um, I was recently cleared to deadlift at a pretty low percentage. So like very very carefully, I can run at a low intensity. I can do pretty much all normal like bodybuilding type movements with some exceptions. Like I can't directly load my pec on the left side. Um, there are some positions I can't get to with my like left shoulder. I just don't have the range there yet, uh, but we're looking at probably another two to four weeks before I can start to ease into direct load on my left pec. Um, I'm, and we, we did, we made a decision early on that, we're going to be okay with me having this imbalance. So I'm going to continue to train my right side. It's like, I'm really good at 
dumbbell pressing with just one hand now only on the right side but i can definitely tell like my and i don't know if you can tell but pretty sure my right pec is like at least a little bit bigger than my left right now which is to be expected but i'm more so wondering what it's going to feel like the first time i like do a pressing move with my left hand you know like 100 pounds on this side and 15 on this side that's going to be real weird but I'm also in a way looking forward to it. Uh, I, I would definitely say though, it's even now, like I'm, I'm so grateful, so grateful that I can do the kind of training that I'm doing, but it's also like very disheartening going to the gym most days where like I go in and at least once during every session, I'll think to myself like shit, a few months ago, I might've been, you know, uh, squatting 500 Oh, okay. Here, here's one thing that really kills me. The day I got injured, so separate from the bench press, the day after that uh, would have been the first time I'd ever touched 700 pounds on a deadlift. And it wasn't like I was maxing out. It's like uh, there's like a small taper toward the end of that training phase. So I, I got a chance to like reach up in the higher ranges than normal. But the top end of my range for that following day would have been 714 pounds for a single and I again I was feeling phenomenal I'm almost like more upset that I didn't get a chance to do that than I am about the bench press itself or maybe the injury but like I, the thought when I get in the gym nowadays it's like okay I'm going there to do like two different variations of a bicep curl some tri extensions maybe some shoulder stuff single arm dumbbell press some cat whatever right and I so badly wish that I could be deadlifting 700 pounds or bench pressing, you know, or just doing something that is like much more difficult than that bicep curl, you know, and I don't mean to sound ungrateful. Like I am, I'm very happy that I can do this at all, especially given the fact that I couldn't very recently do anything. It's just, it's been tough to deal with. Yeah. Kind of like the paradox. It's like, yeah, you're making great progress. It sounds like you can do pretty much, you know, everything, at a much lower level, but then you're also on the cusp of all-time PRs, which is bittersweet, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I, I thought about this too. Um, and I don't want people to, to hear this and think, because like we, we do kind of like in this realm of fitness, this is a very small little sphere of our lives. How absurd and how lucky is it that like this is the thing I get to complain about? Like an injury is a serious thing, I guess, but like there are so many worse things. And the fact that this is like one of my biggest concerns right now is just uh, I'm not unaware that I'm extremely privileged to be able to say like, you know, this is like the worst thing happening to me right now. Here's a cat, by the way. Proof that you're a cat person now. You've just lost it completely. So <laughs> he just appeared after the injury. Yeah. <laughs> Not even my cat. I don't know where he came from. I've never seen that cat. Any There was never a mention of cats until the injury, just to clarify for everybody. So, Oh, man. So, yeah, for people listening who might have an injury themselves or, you know, might be worried about injuries or have had an injury in the past, you know, what would you like people to take away from this like that, you know, maybe you've learned or that would help other people that are like in a sort of similar situation dealing with injuries? I guess on the, on the training front, kind of like we said earlier, like you are, if you're going to pursue a high level of performance in anything, you are accepting a certain level of risk and 
I, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, like powerlifting is exceptionally risky. Uh, the data suggests that the instance of injury in powerlifting is um, not as high or possibly significantly less than some other barbell sports. Uh, and I'm not like, you know, throwing stones at other sports. It's just that there is serious risks. Like even if you were like a high level runner, that risk exists as well. So that's not to like turn anybody away from doing the things that we do. Just, you know, you have to realize that there is that risk and you should do everything that you can to mitigate that risk. Like don't train like an idiot. Uh, if you have a plan, try your best to follow it and be, like we said, as, as unemotional as possible when having to adapt that plan. Um, on the other end of the things, though, like something that I, I've definitely had to learn very quickly, and this, this injury, like it was really a slap in the face that for the past, oh man, like, I don't know, 15 years, exercise of some sort, training, uh, if you will, has been like the one thing that I consistently did to take care of my mental and emotional health and having that kind of uh, taken away or having to be sidelined from that, I realized really quickly how poorly equipped I was to like deal with myself uh, and how necessary it would be for me to find different tools. So, so if people out there uh, are listening and they are going through their training and it's going well, I, I would recommend that you, you don't wait. Like if you don't already have other tools in your toolbox to help yourself manage mentally and emotionally uh, through a tough time, Build those tools now, like do it before you need it, because there's a good chance that you will need it one day. Maybe you can't train for some reason, or maybe you, one of your other tools don't exist for another reason. Like you, you want to have many different ways to approach whatever the problem is. It can't just be, or should not just be training. Um, I think it's a great tool. You should still do that. It's just, I wouldn't consolidate into training. Yeah, that makes me think of a, a really interesting documentary about the Olympics. It's the price of gold and just the price of being a successful athlete and like, especially the mental health side of things. And Michael Phelps, and he talks about that. But yeah, it also makes me think about uh, the the idea that like, maybe it's a bit too pessimistic, but it's kind of just like, yeah, injuries are, injuries and pain are like a very natural and like necessary part of life. So if if I get injured or a client gets injured or there's a bit of pain, it's kind of like, yeah, that's like a sign that like you're you're healthy, things are working as they should, and we want that there, and then we want to learn from it so that we can minimize the intensity and the severity of it moving forward. Because you know, I know myself, I can run myself into the ground if I'm not if I'm left my own devices. You know, I I yeah. do that. That's why I need a coach like you sometimes. <laughs> so I've seen you do that a yeah. handful of times. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I need. Uh, a plan to follow i need accountability and yeah uh, otherwise pain it becomes a a much bigger part of the process than it needs to be but it, but again it is a part of the process so yeah i think that that's some really good points perhaps our biased perspective but it's almost maybe i uh, tell me if, if you disagree with this but it's almost like you're going to be in pain from something in your life no matter who you are no matter what you're doing there's going to be some pain somewhere uh maybe it's a good idea that that pain is the result of the pursuit of greater fitness, greater health, strength, what have you. Right. So again, if that pain is going to hit you from somewhere, why not have it be something that allows you to by and large, you know, be a healthier, stronger individual. I don't just mean that in a physical sense. 
yeah, the mental health benefits of, of exercise are like probably the biggest thing, really. You know, sure, it's cool to like be able to lift heavy or feel strong or fit, but yeah, yeah Ross, Ross would have been institutionalized years ago, not for fitness. <laughs> Day one, just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the way. So if someone, you know, is in a similar situation where maybe they think they might be on the verge of like injury or they're just kind of not sure about how to manage their training, you know, and they think like, oh, I've injured myself in the past. I'm afraid of re-injury. What would you say to someone like that who has kind of fears around an injury or re-injury? Oh, man, that's tough. And I, I think that I will, I would have a better answer for that, you know, months down the road as I have a chance to approach uh more serious load in that injured pack, but I, I've had some of these conversations with people who've had more experience than me. They tell me that it's not uncommon for you to be almost like gun shy, you know, like to be physically ready to um, kind of re-enter and ease yourself back in, but not to feel mentally prepared for the same. Um, my my imagination is basically that if you're going to do it you almost may need to like delude yourself into confidence because if you approach something like that with that sort of anxiety and, and uh, questioning yourself, you probably are only increasing your risk of performing poorly, if not perhaps for injury. Um, it's like we've said before, like between you and I have said before, like, you know, coming into a tough lift, tough session, whatever you, you need to get yourself to a point where you just, it's a foregone conclusion. Like, you know, you can, you can hit these numbers, you can do that lift, whatever it is, you can get through it, no problem. Even if that may not end up being true, like you go into the session that way with that mental approach to give yourself the best chance possible of performing properly. Uh, I'd imagine it's the same thing, you know, in the face of that uh, fear and anxiety post-injury. I imagine that's quite similar. Uh, as far as like being on the verge of injury, I, I think that's so hard to tell. Um there are some obvious ones, like you know, if you feel like just generally run down, if you if your training numbers are are not matching your predictions as far as like how you should perform, um, if you are just like chronically sore and you feel beat to shit, like there's some obvious ones, like yeah, just like we talked about, you have to be able to like, willing to adapt your training as needed, regardless of how tied you were to your plan. But I think being unemotional about that is necessary, but it's also very difficult. And that is why there is so much value in, if not hiring a coach, then at least having people who are very familiar with your training, who can help you make less emotional decisions. But I mean, shit, you and I both know, Ross, like even with a coach, it's not always the easiest thing to, to make the right choice or to manage the uh, emotional aspect of some of those choices. Absolutely. Yeah. Like somebody who is set on pursuing a certain approach is going to do that with a coach, without a coach with two coaches you know so <laughs> so sometimes it just people need to go through it as part of the process you know they need to you know for example i needed to sort of run myself into the ground to realize that's not effective so, yeah is so, there any part of you that's almost like can you look back on some of those experiences gratefully like considering what you've learned from them so i think what you're referring to is like say you know, I was working with Tyler in January and I was like running myself into the ground and I thought I had mono and I was kind of down and I was training consistently, but I was kind of overdoing it by doing intense weight training and also running. And um, 
it's funny because I kind of have this bias of always wanting to improve and to to progress and, you know, the next thing, almost like shiny object syndrome or something, you know? <laughs> so yeah, very like childish almost, but looking back, it's like, yeah, the fact that uh, I'm able to train consistently now and that I feel fit and I feel like a more mature athlete or just health professional or person who pursues health as a hobby. I'm so grateful that, uh, the side effects of being burnt out and mentally fatigued, you know, are just greatly reduced. Like, I feel like I'm in a sustainable place right now, which is, it's kind of like, I'm kind of set off here. It's like, I'm in a place where I'm making boringly consistent progress. It's, it's like just very incremental, very small, but like, it's kind of like, you know, the stock market, for example, they say it increases by like, you know, whatever, 4% a year or something like that. But, um, it's not very sexy, but it works. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really happy to be here, given that I was running myself into the ground and I had multiple visits to the doctor being like, I don't know what's going on. And it's like, yeah, you're doing too much. <laughs> so just slow it down and give yourself a break. So um, where where do you think that comes from? I, I think we're similar. You and I are both similar in that respect. Like we're probably more prone to running ourselves into the ground. But why? Why, why are we like this, Ross? This is a whole other podcast. And, uh, perhaps you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, what I like to think about a lot is, uh, I have a friend who's a developer and he's like, I want to know the why. I want to know, you know, why is my weight, for example, jumping around all over the place? And I'm like, a lot of the time, I'm like, let's just scrap the whole idea of figuring out exactly why. And let's just try and focus on responding as effectively as we can. Cause you mm. might not ever know the why, you know, and, and the why might not actually, provide us with the information we want but the response is what we can get really good at you know yeah so um maybe that's kind of like a bit too reductionistic but i think uh yeah our ability to respond we can we can always work on that but we can't really work on our ability to be like able to figure things out because life has got so many surprises so yeah um i just like to respond to my craziness more effectively each time it And get a second opinion as well, actually. That's a big one. Getting a second opinion on, uh, hey, do you think this is sustainable? Do you think this is a bit unreasonable? What do you what do you think? Or saying it out loud even because, you know, you get caught up in your own head and you're like, oh, this is a great idea. And it's like, did you ask anyone else about it? Did you get a second opinion? You know, yeah, the, ba- the basics. Yeah, and I think having some breadth to that perspective as well, if you ask, maybe don't ask one person, maybe ask five or something where even if you were looking at your training program, maybe you don't ask something don't ask five people who are also, you know, fitness coaches, maybe, maybe go ask somebody who like, I don't know, like ask your partner who may not care about fitness as much as you like, does it seem reasonable for me to be in the gym 12 times a week? No. Okay. You're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cause I mean, what, what seems normal. Exactly. Well, yeah. What, what seems normal to like us in this sphere, you know, is, is not normal at all. Um, so it definitely helps to add some breadth to that, those, those opinions yeah you could be asking in a kind of an echo chamber of just a similar opinions so yeah i like that idea of getting someone on the outside speaking of breadth of perspective that's something that we're looking forward to right is having some other perspectives uh to ask some of these questions too 100 yeah getting some experts on so that will be another part of the series uh coming up down the line but for now we're going to wrap up tyler but do you have any Final message you want to leave people with before we finish. 
Um, I mean, if anything, you know, if you find yourself, this is specifically to the people who are, you know, might be listening to this, the 10 people who might actually be injured right now. If you find yourself going through it, you know, just try to try your best to remind yourself that it will get better, uh, perhaps not every day, but by and large, that trend will be upward. Just keep, you've got to do what you've got to do. So if you have instructions from your physical therapist, if you have things you're supposed to be doing to take care of yourself elsewhere, do those things. And regardless of how bad things may be, there's always some place in your life where you can make progress. So maybe it's not in the gym at the moment. Maybe it is uh, your marriage. Maybe it's your career, right? Um, but there's progress to be had elsewhere for sure. And if you can't do that here right now, that's okay. You'll revisit it. You'll come back to it. But uh, if you need to find a way to make yourself feel a little bit more capable, a little, a little bit better perhaps, you know, perhaps don't just consolidate your focus on the fitness stuff for now. Come back to it. And you will. Absolutely, yeah. Have multiple sources of happiness, I feel like is a key point there. Yeah, thanks. All right, that's it, Tyler. We'll uh, see you in the next episode. All right, Ross. Take care.